Did you bring a Bible back with you to church today? I know you've been here, in a while, uh, been here a while already this morning, so let's not take a lot of time with this. Let's go right to the book of Mark chapter 6 and pick up where we left off. Remember, Jesus was giving these disciples this uh, crash course in itinerant ministry. He said, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm calling all of you to me. And remember, first of all, we discussed that your first and foremost calling is always to Jesus. And I think sometimes we get, especially when we're around each other, when I say each other, I mean other ministers, people in ministry, pastors, uh, traveling ministers, leaders of any kind, and you start talking in terms of your calling and you think of that as what you do. But it's not what you do first. It's who you are called to. Jesus called the twelve to himself before he ever sent them out. And if you try to go without first being called to Jesus, you are powerless in your going. And you will be frustrated. You know what frustration is? Frustration is the space between expectation and reality. It's that space between how you thought it was going to be and what it ended up being like that tries to breed frustration in you. And if, if the empowerment, so-called, for your ministry or for what you do in life it's simply because you saw somebody else do it and you decided you wanted to do that, you decided you liked what came as the result of that, Jesus called that tradition. What was revelation in somebody, if you just got it from them and not from the Spirit of God, then it's become tradition. Yeah, it produces in their life because it's revelation to them. Why isn't it producing in me? Well, is it revelation in you? How do you get revelation? So simple. You cannot separate revelation from revealer. Right? Does that make sense? That's not too deep, right? You cannot separate revelation from revealer. And so many people have tried to do that. They've taken the revelation of walking in divine health, walking in divine prosperity, walking in the things of God for your life. Such revelation, living, vibrant revelation from the word of God. And they said, ooh, I like the car that preacher drives. I'm going to do what he did, and I'm going to get what they got. Be very careful. You're flirting with tradition. And then the byproduct of tradition is frustration. Why? Because I expected this. I did what he did. He got this. I got this. And it's that space between that tries to breed frustration. But that's why, if, you, I mean, if you've been in any of these services that I'm in, I mean, I make it a point every time to begin with praying that we would have eyes that see Jesus only. Because if you came in here looking at me or Dr. Leon or Dr. Andre or anybody, any other man or woman that takes this pulpit, then you've missed the point entirely. That's why Jesus must increase. That's why Jesus must increase. That's why Jesus must increase. I know I saw that a couple of years ago in the book of Colossians chapter 1. 
Just go read it sometime. Just round about verse 9 through the end of the chapter. And it's all about who Jesus is. I remember one night I was getting ready to preach. My dad had left town, the pastor of our church. My dad had left town and asked me to fill in for him. And I spent all Saturday studying. And I wrote these notes for this message. And I got got to looking at it and spent hours with it, I guess. And I looked at it and I thought, you know what? If it bored me this much to make these notes, there's no telling how much it's going to bore those people. And I had nothing. I mean, all day long, I had nothing. And then I went to a service, a gathering that night that my wife was speaking at. It was a college group. And she was talking about uh, the thankful life. Thanksgiving being the language of faith. And she said these words. She said, anytime I pray, I always begin by thanking God for Jesus. And she does too. I love to listen to that woman pray. Every time she prays, I don't care if it's in our home or behind a pulpit or in front of a camera. Father, I thank you for Jesus. And something began to resonate on the inside of me. And I got home and I got before the Lord. And this is what he said. I want you to preach Jesus. And I thought, great. That's great. Okay, what about Jesus? Tell me me what about Jesus I'm going to preach. He said, no, just preach Jesus. Yeah, cool. I can do that. Let's do it. Now, now, now what part we talking? We talking the the healing ministry? We talking the the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, intercession? What are we talking? Just preach Jesus. And I have to tell you, I was I don't want to use the word ashamed, but it was it shined a light on my ignorance of the person of Jesus. What had happened? A lot of principles. But when you separate principle from person, you have no power. And you know that's true because all those words start with P. Actually, that has nothing to do with it being true. (laughs) So you got to be careful what you listen to and nod your head to in service. I'm telling you the truth right now. You got to be careful about coming into service and and nodding your head or agreeing or whatever because it rhymed. It doesn't have to rhyme to be true. It can. It doesn't have to. And just because it rhymes doesn't mean it was true. Just a little side note there for you. But I ended up in the book of Colossians chapter 1 and found out that he is the visible image of the invisible God, that through him we have our redemption and by his blood we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the son of his love. Found out from that same chapter that he is above all things. He is before all things. All things in him consist. He has the preeminence over all things. He is the head of the church, which is his body. Notice this, it says, he, he is Lord over both things that are visible and invisible. Now, if it falls outside of one of those two categories, Jesus isn't Lord over it. But as long as it's either visible or invisible, Jesus is Lord. And I challenge you to come up with something that falls outside of one of those two categories, either visible or invisible. That's who Jesus is. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, why have I never seen this before? And I get down to the 28th verse of that chapter and he says, him we preach. 
And I said, I found it. I found, in, in that moment, in that verse, in those three words, I found my life. I found my ministry. I found the platform that my wife and I would build our family on. Him, we preach. Who him? Jesus, him. Amen. Amen. So, our first calling is always to Jesus. And whatever you are called to, whatever you are called to do, is energized and strengthened by that call to fellowship with Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we saw that Jesus called the twelve to himself and he gave them power. You have that word gave. Somebody help me. What word comes just rushing to the forefront of your thinking? Whenever you hear gave, gift, given, giving, what do you hear? Come on, shout it out. What do you hear? Grace. How do you know it was grace? Because it came from God to you through Jesus, making it grace. So he graced them with power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. See there, preacher, you ain't supposed to have nothing. That's not what Jesus was saying. I submitted this to you yesterday that Jesus was saying, I don't want you dependent on anything but the grace that I'm sending you out in. And watch the grace make provision. I can prove that to you. If you look in the book of Luke, hold your place here. Look over in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, When I sent you out without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So so what's he talking about? Is he talking about the very instance that we're reading in the book of Mark? Yeah, I sent you out without any of this stuff. And he asked them this question, did you lack anything? And they said, what? Nothing. We lacked nothing. How could that be? They didn't take anything with them. Yes, they did. They took grace. They took grace, and the same grace that was on them to heal, the same grace that was on them to minister the word, the same grace that was on them to cast out demons, was the same grace that provided for the ministry, was the same grace that provided clothes on their back. It was all grace. Then he gave them, like we said, this little crash course here, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place, and whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust from under your feet as a testimony against them. That is an act of compassion, that is an act of faith, that is an act, and we're going to get into this today, of casting the care over onto God. The care of your ministry does not belong on your shoulders. And if you have gone before the Lord and out of that place of fellowship have received word from Him, direction from the Holy Spirit, you've been led in your planning, you've been led in your execution, you've been led every step of the way, which is not hard, but you've done what you know He called you to do. Whether they hear it, whether they receive it, and whether they respond to it, that pressure is not on you. That is between them and Jesus, and don't you dare get in the middle of it. Don't do it. 
And Jesus said, you are going to have to shake the dust from your feet because if you don't, you will take the dust of that town with you to the next town. You will take the dust of that service with you to the next service. And you'll either begin to see everybody through the filter of the people that didn't receive. That'll turn into frustration. That'll turn into disappointment in you. That can turn into depression. And if you're not watchful, it will turn into bitterness towards people. None of y'all get it. Y'all ain't listening to me. I don't understand preachers say that sometimes, and I've said it, and we're, and we're endeavoring to engage with you. But the reason, my motivation for getting you to say something is because you need to hear yourself respond to the Word of God. Amen. I don't care if you respond to me. That's not between me and you. That, all of that is between you and Jesus. My motivation is to get you to hear yourself say, I believe that. Because that's huge. Your life is the response of faith. And no response is no response. And it's the sign of a, it, it can be the sign of a hardened heart. It can be the sign of, of somebody, watch this, somebody who is unpersuadable. That was God's big problem with the children of Israel in the desert. The book of Hebrews tells us that they did not enter into the rest that God had for them. They did not enter in through their unbelief. If you look at that word unbelief, you look it up, you're going to find that it could translate to unpersuadable, non-persuadable. They could not be made to believe. It's raining food. There's a big ball of fire in the sky every night leading us. There's a great big cloud of glory that God himself is in every day leading us. And it's raining food. I'm thirsty. What are we going to do? Hit a rock and watch some water come out. I mean, these people are walking in the miraculous realm of God day in and day out, all the way up to the time where it's time to send people in there, spy out the land. And you would think... You would think that they could have written this scripture, if God be for us, tell me, who can be against us? Yes. You would have think they could have written that. But they sent spies, and something like 80% or more of the spies came home. Two of them said, yes, it's good, let's take it. And the rest of them said, no, there's really tall people in there. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Unpersuadable. What's it going to take to persuade these hard-hearted, hard-necked, stubborn people? Fast forward to today. What's it going to take to persuade you? What does God have to do in you and for you and through you to persuade you that he's for you and not against you? That he holds your life in the palm of his hand. That he has your best interest in his heart. That he has already, through Jesus, made provision for everything you need. What's it going to take to make you go, okay? See, it's a dangerous thing to be unpersuadable. Very dangerous thing. Because so many people say, if God wanted me to have it, I'd have it. He wants you to have it. You need to establish that. But you need to also establish that the only way I'm going to have what grace has provided 
is if I respond to it in faith and receive it by my faith in Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust from under your feet. Do not carry that with you. Verses 12, let's begin to move on now. Verse 12 and 13. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Somebody say, it worked. It worked. Jesus called these 12 guys, these 12 uh, not upper echelon, not cream of the crop, if you know what I mean by that. These guys who were working in a field, working in a trade, and just, just by the fact that they were working in a trade, you know this about them, they weren't deemed worthy by other rabbis to be considered disciples. But Jesus picked these guys out, spent a little time with them, showed them how to do it, then sent them out, and it worked. They laid hands on sick people, and sick people weren't sick people anymore. They looked at people that weren't alone on the inside, if you know what I mean, full of demons. You ever talk to somebody that wasn't alone in there? Like, I'm looking at you, but I'm talking to somebody else or a group of somebodies. <laughs> and these disciples were met with that. And they spoke to them in the name of Jesus. And these people were made whole, made clean, healed. It worked. Somebody say, it worked. Now watch this. Skip down to verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus. He called the disciples, but they came home apostles. Why? Because an apostle is a sent one. That's what the word means. But you cannot be sent until you've come to the one who does the sending. They had to be disciples called to Jesus so that Jesus could send them out. And even though they've been sent, now what are they doing? Coming back home coming back to Jesus. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Can you just imagine these guys home fresh from their first ministry experience? They've come home and Jesus is there and it says they, they told him all things, everything they did, everything they taught. And in my mind, I'm getting dripped on, in my mind, it's a group of 12 guys just so giddy, like little kids coming home, just, just home from camp or something. And they just all at once telling Jesus everything that happened. Jesus, you should have been there. You should, you should have been there. You should have seen it. I, I, I went out. You, I mean, you sent us out and, and I went out and, and I prayed and, and I just did what you did, Jesus. I didn't know what to do. So I just said what you said and it worked. And, and, and then there was this one guy, and, and he was sick, and so, 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 so I laid my hands on him, and I, I just said, in Jesus' name, be healed. And he got healed, Jesus! When I got home from my second trip to this country, one month after my wife and I got married, we came to South Africa and spent over two weeks here, I think. And we traveled around, and we, we preached many different times in different churches. 
But there was this one place we went into, and it was a township in Johannesburg called Mama Lodi. And I remember driving in there, one of my first experiences in a township, and we're driving in, and it didn't take long for me to feel way out of place. You know what I mean? And we're driving in, and we keep driving in, and we keep driving in, and we keep driving in. And I remember not knowing what to say. And I was sitting in the back seat, and I prayed this prayer. And I'm not sure the Lord has ever answered me as quickly as he did that night. I prayed, Father, just show me how you feel about these people. And I'm telling you, immediately, he said, Jeremy, you couldn't handle it. You couldn't take it. I began to get a sense of the heart of compassion, the heart of love, the high esteem that God had for these people. And I said, well, just give me a glimpse. Give me whatever I can handle. And we went in that night. We walked into this building, falling apart, a shadow of whatever it once was, and before we even got in there, the music, the anointed music that was just pouring out of that place. And we walk in, and it's probably 150, 200 of the darkest faces I had ever seen in my entire <laughs> life, and the biggest smiles I had ever seen. The very presence of God. There were three musicians playing. A guy on the keyboard, a guy playing bass, and a guy playing drums. And the guy playing bass was up on the stage. And every once in a while, the big barn door would fly open. And I'd watch this stray dog go walking, walking across the back of the stage. So the guy playing bass would come around and back into the door and close it like this and keep playing. I have no idea what the words were to any of those songs. But for the first time in my life, I experienced not being able to understand, but at the same time understanding perfectly what was going on. It was so saturated with the presence of God. It was so saturated with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I preached that night like I, have, like I had never preached before. I talked about trusting the Lord with all your heart and leaning not to your own understanding. Acknowledging Him in all your ways. He will direct your paths. Oh, what a night we had. I'll never forget, they received an offering for us. Oh, my Jesus, they received an offering for us. And we, I was there with my wife and, and two of our friends. We probably had more money between the four of us than the rest of that room in our pocket, probably. I don't know. But what they did was they set up a chair on this side of the stage and they set up a chair on this side of the stage and people just began to put, not in a basket, not in a bucket, not in a bag, on a chair. And they just, bills and change and coins just on each chair. And to be honest with you, I was... We were already moving out of there. I, 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 had, I had had the thought, maybe I can get out before they try to give this to me. And I'm on my way out the door, and a man comes up to me. He's got a plastic bag with some of the money in it, and the rest is just in his chest. And he just pours it into my hands. And my first thought is, I, I can't take this. 
Oh, but the Lord arrested me on the inside. Said all that to tell you this. My wife and I got home and we were at a family gathering with my grandfather, my grandmother, our family, my grandparents, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. I know a lot of you know who they are. Been in ministry at that time 40 years, now 45. And we just sat down with him and I felt like one of these disciples coming home. Papa, you should have seen it. That's what we call him, Papa. You should have seen it. It was amazing. We had great services, but there was this place we went and, and, and they, they barely spoke English, but the presence of God was so rich and so powerful. Preached this word and they received it. They received us and we received them. And I'm just, there's just no words to express to them how grateful we were for everything that had happened. And, and I told them about the offering and I, I said, you know, at first I didn't think I could even take their money. And man, he shut me up so quick. He looked at me and said, don't you ever reject somebody's seed. I said, I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> All that to tell you, you're going to experience these kinds of things in your ministry. If you haven't already, I imagine so many of you probably already have. And I can tell you by a word of the Lord, you ain't seen nothing yet. And there are going to be these times when you come home and it's you and Jesus. And you have just emptied yourself. Remember Paul said, I, would, I, I, I have gladly spent and been spent. I will spend gladly and I will be spent, he said, on your behalf. There are these times when you just give everything and then some. Right? You've experienced that before? And you come home to Jesus and you just say, Jesus... It worked. <laughs> it worked. You sent me out. Me. Me. We're going to read in a moment where Paul said, the least of all apostles. You sent me out and it worked. Now, all of that, I said to bring you right here. I want you to notice Jesus' response to these guys when they came home. Because he could have said anything. But I want you to notice what he said. And before you read what he said, I want you to remember who said it. So whose words are we about to read? Jesus. And Jesus is the grace of God. So when he said, go preach, grace was sending them to preach. Every word out of his mouth. Are we agreed that he did not say anything unless he heard his father say it? Are we agreed on that? Are we agreed that Jesus did not waste words? Right? He could have said anything. They came home, told him everything they did, everything they taught. And he said to them, verse 31, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest. Now, is this the same son of God that just sent these guys out and commissioned them to go preach? Is it? It's the same son of God. Now, he could have said anything. He could have said, well, you think that's something. What are you, what are you doing home? I didn't tell you to come home. There's people out there dying and going to hell. What are you doing home? Get back out there. I think sometimes we live under that with ministry, don't we? And I guarantee you, I would, I would almost 
be willing to put money on this today that everyone that is in this room right now has identified in one way or another with the call of God on your life to go and do what he's called you to do. Especially those of you in Bible school, especially those of you in Bible training of any kind, you have in one way or another, you've sensed and identified the commissioning of grace himself for you to go and do what he's called you to do. If it's to stand in a pulpit, if it's to take the mission field, whatever it is, if it's to lead others in worship, you've identified that and you've said, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. But is it not the same son of God that told them, come away by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while? Which of those two instructions, go preach, come rest, which of those do you have the luxury to ignore? And we think that if God has called us to go preach and we don't do it, it's disobedience. Would you agree with that? Well, when he tells you to come rest and you say, I don't have time to rest, I'm in the ministry, and you, and you go preach when he said go rest, what's that called? It's called honorable. Wow, what a man of faith. Wow. Giving everything for the call. Now, I'm not talking to you about living on some perpetual vacation. You know that, right? That's not what I'm talking to you about. But I am saying to you that you must, for the sake of the longevity of your life, the longevity of your ministry, just your own well-being, just your own peace levels, patience levels. Have you discovered you're not dealing with an unlimited supply of patience? You may be good for a few days and you can swallow some stuff down and you can hide some stuff and cover it up. But one day somebody just looks at you a little funny and you go off. You explode. How dare you ask me to pass you a Kleenex? I'm not. How dare you ask me to pass you the salt? How you get there? What am I, your servant? I'm not, I'm not your maid. What, what just happened? You broke. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside troubled, bubbling waters. No, still waters. Then what does he do? He restores my soul. The restoration of your soul comes in these times of rest. Restores, R-E-S-T-O-R-E-S, -E -E restores. There is no restoration without rest. You must be restored on a pretty regular basis. Restored. Same thing would, we could say it like this, restocked. What happens if a, if a marketplace, a grocery store, fills their shelves, lines their shelves with canned goods and dried goods and produce, fruits and vegetables, and everybody comes and buys, and they never restock? What's wrong? Well, you've gone out of business, 
in one weekend. You must restock. You must restore. I'm telling you, this restoration comes in the times of rest. You must listen for when grace is calling you away to rest. Do you remember the first week of creation? What did God say at the end of every day? He saw his works and it was good, right? Day one, saw that it was good. Day two, saw that it was good. Three, good. Four, good. Five and six, saw that it was good. On the seventh day, that Sabbath day, on the seventh day he rested. Do you remember what he called that day? Holy. That seventh day was holy. Every other day was good. This day is holy. It's set apart. Now there's a lot of parallels here. My friends, you and I are living in that seventh day. We are living in the day when all the good works have been accomplished by Jesus. And we are living in the day of rest. But there's also this practical application. God created you to rest once a week at least. Once a week. And he called it holy. He called that holy. I'm challenging you today to make a decision in your ministry and for the rest of your life. I will go preach when he tells me to go preach. I will go rest when he tells me to rest. And I will treat them as instructions with equal weight. Now, if God calls you to go preach, you have every right to expect from him to provide for what it takes to go preach. If he calls you into the mission field, you have every right to place a demand on his word honorably. What he, this is what he tells you to do. Not arrogantly, you know that, but you have every right. Your right, your righteousness, your right standing, your right to stand with God. Because of that righteousness, you have the right to come boldly into his presence and find grace to help you. Lord, I hear you calling me. I hear you calling me to Africa. I will go. Because when you called me, you empowered me. Now, this is your ministry, Jesus. This is your ministry. I will not take the care of it. I will not take the pressure. You want this done, sir. I'm in full cooperation with you, but you must pay for it. And can I tell you that I found he's glad to do so? Now, so many people refuse to rest because there's no provision for their rest. But if the God who called you into ministry is willing and able to equip you for the ministry, then the God who's called you to rest is willing and able to equip you to rest. And I've already experienced this. Married just five years, and my wife and I have experienced this over and over and over. Our first anniversary. Just been married one year. First anniversary. We're coming up to it, and we decided we want to do something special. You only get one first anniversary, right? And we decided we're going to do something special. And we went before the Lord. Where would you have us go? This is key. This is the difference between you just picking stuff 
and I believe I receive this. I believe I receive this. I believe I receive this. And you're pulling the lever and it's not working. Why don't you go before him, get a word that you can believe. Get a word that you can respond to and believe. Lord, where would you have us go? Well, how would you have us celebrate our first anniversary? And you may not believe me, but I do not care. He said Hawaii. He said Hawaii, so we said okay. Now, um, I imagine probably not a lot of South Africans travel to Hawaii. Would I be right? I mean, it's kind of a long trip, right? Some? Is there some? Okay. What would be the equivalent? Maybe Mauritius or something like that? Um, Hawaii is interesting because it's beautiful, and they know it's beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, we know you want to come here, so we're going to go ahead and make it expensive because <laughs> it's so pretty. And we heard the Lord say, once you go to Hawaii, we didn't have the money to go to Hawaii. Didn't matter. And we weren't even really understanding all of these things just yet, but we just said, Lord, you want us to go? You provide for it. We, we believe we receive it. This was, it was several months away. In the course of that several months, listen to what happened. I was filing my taxes, and the guy that did my taxes this year looked over them and said, hey, didn't you file this certain form as a minister? And I said, yeah, I believe I did. And he said, well, I'm looking at your taxes from last year, and they didn't include that. I had paid the government at the end of the year $4,000 in taxes. And he said, you were supposed to file this form. You've already filed it. They were supposed to put that on your taxes. And I said, well, what does that mean? It means you get all that money back. I got $4,000 back. Then I got the $1,600 that I was supposed to get back the year before. So there's almost $6,000. And then we got the other $1,200, $1,300 that we were supposed to get that year. So now we're up around between seven and 8,000. And then that year in the United States, our government was just giving people money. <laughs> they were trying to stimulate the economy. So if you were married, they sent you a check for $1,200. Just said, here, please go spend this in America somewhere. So in a moment of time, we've got, gosh, what? We're talking up around eight or $9,000 now? We went and preached at a place. At that time, it was probably the greatest place we'd ever preached in the sense of it, it was a couple of generations. The pastor is a couple of generations before us and just a man that we've always honored and revered. And he invited us to come preach. These kids come preach in his church. Gave us the biggest honorarium we had ever seen, $4,000. Never seen an honorarium that size. We did a dance in our house. <laughs> Just in a matter of weeks, I mean, thousands upon thousands of dollars coming in. Then we get a phone call from some friends that said, hey, have you booked your tickets to Hawaii yet, your airline tickets? We said, no. They said, good, don't book them. We want to buy them. <laughs> then we get online to book our hotel. Now, how many of you have ever booked a hotel online? You looked at the pictures and you booked based on the pictures. I'm going to tell you something. Those guys should be some award-winning photographers. Because <laughs> we booked this room. Somebody had told us this is the nicest room. It's the nicest tower. Well, you know, not the nicest room. Not the 
not a big huge suite or something, but the, the nicest tower, these are the rooms you want to be in. So we booked it, right? So we're on our way to Hawaii. We get there, we rent our Jeep, we're driving, it's beautiful. We pull up to the hotel, we get checked in, they walk us up to our room and we open the door and ah, it's just a little smaller than it looked in the picture. <laughs> And we thought, you know what, it's okay. We're in Hawaii. It's Hawaii. We don't need a big room. It's Hawaii. We're going to be on the beach. It's going to be beautiful. And then out of nowhere, the loudest sound you've ever heard and the floor starts shaking. I'm like, what is going on? And I open the balcony and I look over the balcony and there's a guy on the balcony below ours with a jackhammer. Is that what you call it here? And it's just shaking the whole thing. They're doing construction in the hotel room right beneath ours and it's just shaking the whole place. And I'm like, what is going on? So I call down to the front desk. Little side note here, very politely, very politely, some Christians who try to operate in their God-given authority at somebody, that's not what your authority is for. That's not what your authority is. It's my prophetic edge. No, it's your flesh. <laughs> so just called down and said, Hi, this is Mr. Pearson. This is in such and such room. Hey, listen, I've got a, I've got a question for you. I noticed there was a loud, loud noise coming from the outside, and, and the floor seems to be shaking a bit. So I was wondering, um, is, is this, how long might the construction be going on? Oh, all week, sir. Okay. Uh, uh, what, what times? Probably from 9 to 5. Okay. Um, well, our floor is kind of shaking, so I was wondering, maybe is there a different room that we could look at? Sure. They walk us up a few levels. We walk in, exact same room. Uh, floor's not shaking as bad, but the, the noise is as loud, just as loud. Might as well have been in the room with the jackhammer. So I just called down one more time. I said, you know, I, I just, I'm wondering if there might be one other thing we can look at. And the guy says, come downstairs, follow me. So we follow him, get downstairs. He walks us over to another tower. Get in the elevator. Up to the 26th floor, we walk into this room giant room with its own little living area and kitchen and two bathrooms. All the married people said amen. amen. Two bathrooms, two balconies, one overlooking the harbor, one looking at the ocean. This room was probably no less than $400 more a night that we didn't have to pay. We got this great big room for the same price as the small room with the shaking floor. And we have seen that year after year after year. God is saying, Jeremy, Sarah, it's time to rest. Yes, sir, where would you have us go? Okay, we believe we receive on the authority of your word our rest paid for. Just a few months ago. Can you handle one more of these stories? Just a few months ago. Sarah and I had decided we have got to get some rest. It had been too long, and you know when it's been too long. You are not a happy person to be around. Learn to pick up on these indicators. How often do you find yourself alone? Where is everybody? They are in another room besides the one you're in because you need some rest. And we had gotten to the place, it was time to get some rest. It was this summer, done a lot of traveling that summer. But the Lord had spoken to us regarding our personal finances and what we were assigned to do 
And we had money, but we felt like it was assigned to something. This is another good lesson to learn. Every dollar that comes into your life is assigned to something. And we felt like it was assigned, but it wasn't assigned to our rest. It was assigned to another project he had us working on. So we said, Lord, we need the rest. We know it's your will that we rest. And we are asking you to provide. And we prayed over it. We got a number in our heart, a dollar amount in our heart. Both of us agreed on it and said, we come before you. And we believe we receive based on the leadership of your spirit. Again, you get a word. Now you can respond in belief. That's how faith comes. We believe we receive it. We thank you for it. I don't know. It might have been two, three weeks later on a Monday. Well, part of that prayer was, Father, we believe we receive this money and it will be clear to us that it's assigned to our rest. On that, on a Monday, not long after that, we got informed that that amount of money was coming to us and it was required to be spent on vacation. Could not spend it on anything else. Not on your house, not on your clothes, not on your car, not on your bills, nothing. It had to be spent on vacation. Monday, we got the money. Tuesday, we booked a cruise. And Friday, we left. And we, on this cruise, it was a, a Disney thing, you know. These things fill up months and months and months in advance. My wife gets online and sees this amazing deal on this beautiful room flash online. So she calls and they're saying, oh, no, I'm sorry, that's not available. Hangs up, looks online, there it is again. Calls back and they said, oh, yeah, it's available. <laughs> For exactly the amount that we were given. I'm telling you, God is serious about providing for your rest. Again, listen to me. I'm not preaching to you living on some perpetual vacation. But I am talking to you about being committed to the voice of your good shepherd. And doing what he tells you to do when he tells you to do it. Nothing more, nothing less. And so much of the time when he's called you to rest... It's because he wants to say something to you in that place. Amen. And the problem is, he's talking to you there, whether you're there or not. And this is a big problem with people in churches. People are every Every week, multiple times a week, God is speaking to people, giving them their answers, their solutions, their wisdom, and he's laying it out there for them. But they're sitting in some other church because it's closer to the house. Or they're in another place, even though God had told them months ago, I want you in this city at this time, doing this thing, serving this church. But Lord, this job pays so much better. I want you in this city at this time in this church. But God, this place is where I grew up. I want you in this city at this church doing this. I will speak to you there whether you are there or not. And I have found that when it comes to my rest, there are certain things that he will say to me while I'm at rest. What if these, what if these guys had gotten so high on preaching, like many of you have, had gotten so high on the work of the ministry, like all of us have, 
had gotten so addicted to it, so enthralled by it, and, and just so excited by it, that when Jesus said, okay, come rest, they said, no, we don't have time to rest. I can rest when I'm dead. Well, good, you'll be dead a lot sooner than you would have been. Do you think their preaching and their ministry would have been effective? Had they been preaching when Jesus told them to rest? No. Why? Because there was grace to rest, not grace to preach. Are you with me? If you read the next verse, it says, Jesus said, come, come away by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. And then it says this, for there had been so many coming and going that there hadn't even been time to eat. You ever been there before? Not many people have, but some of us have. Where you've forgotten to eat. Before I got married, there would be whole days that went by. I was working as a youth pastor, serving my parents in our church, and it would be 6 o'clock at night, and I'd think, why am I so hungry? I hadn't eaten anything all day. You, just, you forget, you get busy with what you're doing. And I'm going to tell you something, there is a season for that in your life, young people. There's a time to give yourself spirit, soul, and body to another man or woman's vision. You want your own? Serve somebody else's. And just give everything you got to it. And there will be times you get so enthralled in it, so wrapped up in it, you forget to eat. And that's how these guys were. They just forgot to eat. So much happening, so much going on. They didn't even eat. Can I tell you what happened right after that? 5,000 people tracked Jesus and the disciples down. And Jesus broke bread and fed them all. Somebody tell me what was left over. Twelve baskets of food. I'm going to provide for your rest. I'm going to provide to sustain you. It happened. This is the very next thing that happened. Read it for yourself. I've heard my grandfather say this publicly, so I'm not saying anything he hadn't said. But he nearly cut his own life short, which in turn obviously would have cut the ministry short. And the Lord spoke to him. He was so tired. He was, he was upset. Couldn't, he, he, under the anointing, he was effective. But when he was out from under that anointing, it just was like a cloud of heaviness on him. And the Lord finally spoke to him and said, I created you to rest 52 times a year. And you hadn't done that in your entire life. And I mean, the Lord dealt strongly with him about this. And I'm glad to report to you that today my grandfather is turning 76 years old this year. I'm telling you, in my life, 33 years of watching him, some of those first few years I don't have a real good memory, but <laughs> the, the vast majority of it, he's happier today than I've ever seen him. He's stronger today than I've ever seen him. The man can preach three hours without even trying. The people trying are the ones sitting in the seat. <laughs> You're the ones trying. To... But he's strong. It's because he's made it a point over the last several years of his life. I will rest when he tells me to rest. Amen. And I think somehow we got into our mind thinking that God was going to come to us somewhere along the way 
Because you hear people say it. I haven't, I haven't been in ministry. I haven't taken vacation in 20 years. And they wear it like it's some badge, like you got some medal or something. We'd like to award the no rest medal to <laughs> pastor so-and-so. As though when you die and get to heaven, God is going to say to you, You are something special. Thank you. I just, I just, can we just get it quiet in heaven for a moment? I, I, God, need to extend a personal thank you to you. Thank you. Thank you for, for running your body into the ground. Thank you for making it impossible for your body to fight off sickness because it had no rest. Thank you. Thank you for ripping apart your family. Thanks for never taking your kids on vacation and always telling them it was for me. Thanks for doing that. Thank you so much for dying early. Yeah, I had about 25 more years of ministry and assignment for you on the planet Earth, but thank you. Thanks for ending all that early. Thanks for being disobedient to me. You know, I called you away to rest uh, twice a year to take, to take a week at a time. But, uh, oh, you know what? I, I, can, I can tell now in hindsight, you really knew what was better. <laughs> can you hear God saying that to anybody? And you got to be careful what you let inspire you. Great men of God. Great women of God. Who had... Oh, such an anointing on their life to preach and to heal. I mean, just walked in the very power of Jesus. And I mean them no disrespect whatsoever because I, I still aspire and I still look to that as a shining example of being committed to the call of God. But where there's been a lack of revelation for this, you see where people's marriages have ended Men have fallen into sin. Marriages have broken apart because of no rest, no time to pour into one another. Preaching, 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 never receiving. You are not going to get a hallelujah and thank you from Jesus for ignoring his call to rest. And I'll say this in close. You will never rest outwardly until you learn to rest inwardly. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. This will be one of our last, probably one of our last four or five scriptures. 1 Peter <laughs> chapter 5. Verse 5 says, Likewise, you younger people. Somebody say, that's me. Submit yourselves to you older people. Somebody say, that's you. <laughs> yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. Clothed with humility. So we're talking about humility. God resists the proud. Ugh. I have no desire to be re resisted by God. And that should speak volumes to you. If you know anything about God at all, He is very welcoming. He is very open arms. He is very come boldly to my throne. But when it comes to pride, you get resisted. That's huge. That's big. 
Just do a little study for yourself. God hates him some pride. He is not about to be tolerant of that. But on the contrary, he gives grace to the humble. He does what? Gives grace. You see these two things always together. Gives grace. But the grace is given to who? The humble. Therefore, humble yourselves. In other words, if you want grace, clothe yourself in humility. Under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 6 is the what to do. Verse 7 is the how to do. Verse 6, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Verse 7, here's how. Casting all your care onto him, for he cares for you. That is how you, one of the ways, you walk in humility. By casting your care. So if casting your care is humility, what is carrying your care? What is it? You need to say it out loud. What is it? Pride. It's pride. And you get resisted. To carry the weight of life, to carry the care of life, to worry, to live in anxiety, you are effectively saying to God, I can handle this. But my friend, you weren't built to handle it. You weren't created to handle it. I don't care what kind of pristine physical condition you have worked yourself into. I don't care how strong you are physically. You are not strong enough to carry the care of life. Those must be cast on Jesus, the only one strong enough to carry the care. Amen. The only one. Mm. Then he goes on to say, be sober, be vigilant, for the devil walks about as a roaring lion. Not a roaring lion, as one. Looking for whom he may devour. Put all these things together. What's he saying? Satan may devour the one who is in pride, who's in pride, the one that is worried, the one that is carrying their care. Jesus said to you and I in, in Matthew chapter 6, do not worry about your life. If you do something that Jesus said not to do, what's that called? Pride. That Yeah, but I'm looking for a little three-letter word. Sin. If you do something Jesus said not to do, what is it called? Sin. It's sin. What does that mean worry is? It's disobedience. It's direct disobedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the body, the head of the church. Do not worry. Stop worrying. Cast your care onto him because he cares for you. What are we doing? Now we're going all the way back to being fully persuaded of how much we are loved. Last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn quickly, I'm out of time. I told myself I wouldn't go this long. Evidently I lied. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Paul said in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Now we're coming back to what we've been hearing so strong from Dr. Leon and others about the assignment of God on our lives to do good works. Absolutely. We are called. We are separated to do those things. And Paul even said this. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. I worked harder than anybody. But when you say that, you must add these three little words that he adds at the at the tail end of that statement, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. Is that what he said? Yet not I. Okay, Paul, you worked hard, but it wasn't you working. So who was working? The grace of God, which was with me. The grace of God, which was with me. I labored more abundantly than they all. Say it with me. Yet not I. I. You got to fall in love with those three words. Those three words should explain your whole life. When we look at you, we think, man, that guy is working. That guy is giving it everything he's got. That guy, he's on. How many continents can you be on at the same time? I mean, she is preaching. She is serving. She is loving. He is preaching. And can you come to somebody What's your secret? You work so hard. Yeah, I do work hard. Yet not I. Well, sure looks like it's you. It's not. It's the grace that he put in me. I'm resting. Grace is working. I'm resting. Sure looks like you're working. Yeah, I know, but I'm at rest. I'm at rest. Grace is working in me. See, what is this? This is resting inside so that I might rest outwardly. I have cast all my cares onto him, and grace is the one working. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, he said, I am crucified with Christ. This is a great verse. Listen to this. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Then what did he say? Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. The very next verse. And I do not frustrate the grace of God. I'm crucified. I'm dead. Well, really I'm alive. But really I'm not alive. He's alive. I'm the dead one. He's the live one. But I'm in him and he's in me. So I'm alive. But really I'm dead. But really I'm alive. You can tell he's having a hard time with this. Here's how you explain all of it. Grace is doing it. Grace is doing it. And he said, I refuse to frustrate the grace. I refuse to frustrate grace. I refuse to frustrate grace. How frustrating is it to watch somebody try to do what you're good at? And you are forced to stand by and watch them fumble through this thing make mistake after mistake after mistake, and you're just thinking, I just wish I could get in there, get my hands on just push them aside. I mean, how many, how many school projects have been done by parents who were tired of watching their kids fumble around with the glue and the pins and the paper, and they just, just go to bed, I will do this. I will put the planets in the correct order. 
It's frustrating to watch somebody try to do what you're good at, especially if they refuse to let you help them. My friends, grace is a professional care taker. Grace is a professional care carrier. He said, cast your cares onto him because he cares for you. Or you could say it like this. He cares for you. Let him do the caring for you. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. There is no point in both of you being awake. I am your beloved, and you said you give your beloved sweet sleep. Thank you for loving me. I receive the gift, the grace to sleep, and I cast all my worry. Lord, it is 2.38 in the morning. I have been laying here like a dum-dum worrying about tomorrow, and Jesus said tomorrow has plenty of worry for its own. I'm going to sleep. I cast this over onto you, and I believe I receive sound. Learn to cast the care. You will rest outwardly when you learn to rest inwardly. Amen.